You know, the beauty about going live, there's sometimes some technical hiccups. And uh, I'm glad that there's people here far more gifted and skilled than me to, to fix them when they happen. So thank you, team. Uh, it's As I was saying before, I'm not sure if you heard it, but uh, from what the team has shared this morning, the song choices, and even from what Matt and Tim uh, were sharing earlier on, I can really sense that the Lord has put together uh, this morning as he always does, and I'm excited to bring this morning's message to you. Uh, our topic this morning is the church scattered, and as Tim said, he's going to be looking at the church gathered next week. Uh, but we are, in a sense, scattered at the moment because of COVID. And I wonder how uh, COVID is uh, impacting you in your life. And how, how do you feel COVID is impacting those around you is probably a better question for us to be considering. Uh, for, for some of us, um, not a lot has changed. Uh, life goes on. Um, for others of us, uh, it's been quite a stressful time and great turmoil is going on. Uh, others of us uh, are having a great time of blessing and enjoying um, COVID. But uh, no matter where you sit on that spectrum, we're all being impacted in some regard. We, we share this common story of COVID, but we have a unique chapter that speaks to our experience. Um, all of us in some way have been impacted. When your freedoms are removed, uh, you can begin to ask yourself the questions, well, what in life is important to me? Or who in my life is important to me? When we can't spend our time doing what we would normally do, whether that's work or social, uh, we can start to begin to think, well, what do I do now? What's, what's life about? And even as a, as a church, as we think, about um, our ministries being on pause and our programs paused for a season. As we can't gather physically together, we can begin to ask, you know, what's the church look like now? Or who are we as a church? Uh, and, and it can even get more personal and we can think, well, who am I as a Christian? And, and how am I to live as a Christian today? And whether we are aware of it or not, consciously or subconsciously, we begin to ask the questions that uh, at its core around our identity. Who are we as the church? Who am I as a Christian? Uh, and so we can face something far more fatal than a COVID virus. We can actually have an identity crisis uh, if we're not careful. And so that's a little bit what I want to speak about today as the church scattered. Who are we? What's our identity? And the Bible speaks about an event that took place in our history that impacted the world. And uh, it impacted, in a sense, was an identity crisis for all of humanity. And I'm going to, to the book of Luke today. So grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke. And in Luke chapter 3, we see the introduction of this guy called John. Uh, he's affectionately known as John the Baptist. And in Luke chapter 3, we read these words in verse 2. It says, The word of God came to John. And a bit later on, we read the message that God had given John. The word of God came to John. Something was revealed to John by God, and he began to share this message. 
and he began preaching in, in the wilderness. And in verse 7 of Luke chapter 3, I hope you've got it, we read, um, He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to, to from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, well, what do we do then? And he says, whoever has two tunics, share with one who has none. Tax collectors in verse 12 said, what do we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorised to. Soldiers in verse 14 said, well, what do we do, Jesus? And he says, don't extort money. Don't falsely accuse people. Here John is addressing the crowd with this word from God that he's talking about there's, there's two types of repentance. There's a false repentance and there's a true repentance. A false repentance might look good on the surface, but it, it's an unhealthy tree that bears unhealthy fruit. Uh, the, the Jews or the, those who were descendants of Abraham's were saying, well, we're Abraham's offspring. We're right with God. You know, they, they were self-reliant and uh, they were relying on their past works to, to be in, in step with God. And John's saying, well, hang on, that's not what God's interested in. God wants you, in verse 8, to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. That's why the crowds were saying, well, what do we do? And John was highlighting that the, the true repentance is a heart's repentance. It's a heart that is surrendered to God, a heart that trusts in God, a heart that is... Um, dependent on him. This is uh, fr- the heart that bears great fruit for the kingdom. And, and that fruit is a care for others. Share your tunic. Don't extort people for money. Do the right thing to others. It, it echoes that second great command of love others greater than yourself. This is the heart that um, God is interested in, according to John. And this is the message that was given to him to reveal. But it's into this scene that we see Jesus step. And in verse 21, we see that Jesus is baptised. Verse 21 of chapter 3, we read, Now when all the people were baptised, and when Jesus also had been baptised and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. A fantastic event in time. And I want us to, to notice three quick things about this event. First of all, the Godhead was present, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Whenever you see the Godhead present in Scripture, something significant is happening, something which we need to stand up and pay attention. Something's happening here which is significant that changes the course of history. Well, what happens here? Well, as Jesus is baptised, as, as the Godhead comes together, an announcement is made. The Father says... 
You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Now, this was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He hadn't done anything really just yet. So how is he pleased with Jesus? Well, you've got to ask the question, well, why is Jesus being baptised? Jesus isn't being baptised for the repentance of sin. Scripture tells us that he was like us in every way, but he knew no sin. He hadn't sinned. So Jesus, in his baptism, he was declaring to the world, I'm surrendering to my Father's will. I'm living from this point forward under his guidance, under his leadership, trusting him completely. I'm going to live in accordance to him, his ways, his will, surrendered completely to him. This is what the Father was pleased about. But something is announced here as well. He says, you are my beloved son. The identity of Jesus is made public. And everyone hearing this would have known straight away, this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is Jesus who we've been waiting for. He's going to save his people. This is the one who's going to bring peace upon the earth. You are my son, the father says. The Godhead's present and announcements made And thirdly, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. The Holy Spirit appoints Jesus for the mission ahead. But in descending on Jesus, he anoints Jesus for the task ahead. So here the world knows that Jesus is God's son. There's no doubting that voice from heaven, from the Father, you are my son. He's declared... uh, in that baptism moment. The significance of this event is quite profound. Uh, At his baptism, Jesus was revealed as God's son. But it's in the following event in the wilderness where Jesus showed what that sonship meant, what it looked like to be the son of God. And this is where I want to explore a bit today because I believe this wilderness event Uh, that takes place where we we see what Jesus' identity looks like that we can learn as children of God, our identity as a child of God. Um, And just like the father expresses his love to his son, this is my beloved son. You need to know as a child of God, you are loved. It doesn't matter what you face in life, what you're going through, You are deeply loved by the Father. Jesus said, the the Father loved the world so much that he sent his Son into the world. And And he says, to all who receives him, to all who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you have received Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to him, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you are a child of God and you are loved by God. But what does that look like? What, do we, what does our identity look like? So turn with me to chapter 4 of Luke. Chapter 4 of Luke. And I want to make three observations from Jesus' wilderness experience and his identity, his identity that apply to us today. Chapter 4, you got it? Luke chapter 4, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. First thing we need to know, as a child of God, 
A child of God depends on the Holy Spirit. Think about how Jesus is showing his dependence on the Spirit. He models this by choosing to be led by the Spirit out into the wilderness, into the desert. Luke tells us, full of the Holy Spirit, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. In verse 14, in that same chapter, we read, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. This is after his experience in the wilderness. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, how would it says there that he returned in the power of the Spirit. How would Luke know that Jesus wasn't just an awesome preacher and that it was the power of the Spirit at work in Jesus? Well, he would have only known that because Jesus told him, right? A few verses later, Jesus would stand up in his synagogue at Nazareth and read from the book of Isaiah and telling everybody that this passage is about him. And in verse 18, we read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says. Here, Jesus is making it very clear that it was the power of the Spirit at work in him that people saw and people were observing. We can read on in the other Gospels. In Matthew 12, we see Jesus casting out demons in the power of the Spirit. In his final teaching session with his disciples in John chapter 14 to 16, uh, Jesus made it clear that the relationship that he had with the Spirit that was the same kind of relationship he wanted his disciples to have, but, but even better, because the Spirit would be within them. After his resurrection, Jesus told his disciples not to rush out and start ministry, uh, he had, uh, the ministry that he had trained them for, but he wanted them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit had been poured out on them. Just as, as the Spirit was poured out upon him at the beginning of his ministry, at his baptism, he's saying to his disciples, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1.8, we read the words, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all of Samaria until the ends of the earth. Uh, a child of God is dependent on the Spirit. In the, New, in the New Testament, we see the relationship that the disciples had with the Holy Spirit. Uh, in, in Acts 15, we, we read the words, um, the disciples saying, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Well, how would they know what was good to the Holy Spirit? They've, they've got this relationship that's tangible with the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Well, you can only grieve a person who you have a relationship with, right? The Holy Spirit's not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person and the Holy Spirit is someone who we should be building an intentional relationship with. This is what Jesus expected of his disciples. So let me ask you this. How would you define your relationship with the Holy Spirit? 
Why not take a moment today to get to a quiet place and ask the Holy Spirit, how's our friendship? Jesus's friendship with the Holy Spirit led him to the desert. Is your relationship with the Holy Spirit that you're allowing him to lead you anywhere, at any time, at any cost for the sake of his glory? It should be. This is what it means to be a child of God. We depend on the Spirit. Maybe you're resisting the Holy Spirit's leading. You won't have peace until you surrender to his leading. This is the identity of a child of God. A follower of Jesus, we depend on the Holy Spirit. And understanding our identity is, is so important. It's, uh, because this is where Satan begins his attack. If he can undermine your identity, he can destroy you as a person. If he can undermine your identity as a child of God... He'll distract you from God's purpose for your life. It's so important that we understand our identity. As soon as his identity was revealed, the father saying, you are my beloved son. The Holy Spirit leads me out to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And you notice where the devil begins his attack. He begins his attack immediately questioning Jesus's identity. And he brings into question the word of God. The father had just declared, you are my son. And we read in verse three, Satan saying, well, if you are God's son, he's questioning his identity. He begins his attack. And he's been doing this since the beginning of time. In the garden, God said to Adam and Eve, enjoy the fruits of the garden. Enjoy its abundance. And he says to them, but do not eat of the tree in the centre of the garden, because when you do, you will surely die. Well, where do we see the enemy attacking Adam and Eve? Well, did God really say that you can't eat the fruit? Ah, you're not going to die when you eat that fruit. He brings into question the authority and the word of God. And, And this really leads us to our second observation of this passage. A child of God is obedient to the word of God. Adam and Eve were disobedient to the word of God. And yet Jesus here, when he was attacked by the enemy, the enemy says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Well, how did Jesus respond? It is written. It is written. There's the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. Let's keep reading on. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority in their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their, end, on their hands, they will bear 
you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. A child of God is obedient to the word of God. Jesus lovingly obeyed the word of God because he loved his father. It was an expression of his love towards the father. That greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Jesus expressed his love to the father through his obedience. Do you notice though that Jesus didn't just know the word. He obeyed the word. Uh, When we think about Jesus living out this life on earth in his humanity, he didn't live this life in his deity. He lived it in his humanity and he had to learn what the word of God was, just like he had to learn to walk and talk. Well, he had a deep love for the word of God, even from a young age. And we know this because at the age of 12, we see him staying back in Jerusalem. And after three days of searching for him, his parents find him in, in the temple, sitting among the teachers, Luke 2 tells us, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Even as a boy, Jesus loved to discuss the scriptures with people. His love for the scriptures most likely made him a a great candidate to uh, read the scriptures aloud in his local synagogue. In Luke 4, in verse 16, the passage we're reading, it says, as was his custom, as what was normal for Jesus, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So it's no surprise that when Jesus was tempted by the devil, three times he says, it is written, and he quotes memorised scripture. Could you do that? When the enemy comes against you and tempts you, do you quote scripture? It's, It's been a challenge for me. Three times Jesus is tempted. Three times Jesus answered, it is written. But I want you to notice again, He doesn't just know the scriptures, he obeys it. It could have been quite easy for Jesus to say, you know what, you're right, I am hungry, and turn turn the stones to bread. But he doesn't do that, does he? He says, it is written, I am the son of God. My father has all authority. I love him, so I'm going to obey him. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit would provide for me in this moment of my hunger. His his glory wasn't his own. He he was seeking the glory of his father. Worship me. No, not about my own worship. It's written, worship the Lord your God only. He obeyed the scriptures. And likewise, we should be children who obey the scriptures. God's children uh, live differently to the world around them. Uh, There's a different standard we live by. That's the standard of God. We even live differently to other religious people who think they know the scriptures, who want to bend the scriptures to fit into the world around us, into the society we live in. We've seen that drastically over the last few years with several social issues. Religious institutions bending to the world, whereas Christ sets the standard. It is written Scripture has all authority 
and we need to obey it. This is the expectation Jesus set to his followers. John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commands. He also says to his disciples in Matthew 28, teach everybody to obey my commands. Matthew 7, those who hear his words and obey them are like a wise man who builds his house on the rock rather than sand. When the storms of life come, the man who builds on the rock, his house will not be shaken. How's your life right now? Is it a bit shaky? Are you obeying the word of God? Or are you listening to the world around you and compromising? As the storms of life and persecution hit the early church, we see them scattered in Acts. And it says that as they were scattered, they continued to proclaim the word of God and the word of God spread. A child of God is loved by God. Being a child of God is our identity. A child depends on the Holy Spirit. A child is obedient to the word of God. The third observation I want to make of Jesus' wilderness experience is this. A child of God is faithful to God's mission. The Bible doesn't begin with Jesus' baptism, does it? It begins with God creating the universe beautiful in harmony and he creates humanity in his image. And yet through the disobedience of mankind, sin entered the world and judgment fell upon all of creation. But judgment isn't the end game, is it? It's not the final word. God, since the beginning of time, has been on a mission to win back his creation, to win back the hearts and souls of every person, of every tribe, nation, language and tongue. It began with Abraham and his covenant with Israel and it continues through the life of Jesus. Jesus was in the wilderness for one reason. Why would Jesus go out to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? It wasn't for his own comfort, was it? It wasn't to, who was he thinking about at that moment in time? He was thinking of the Father and he was thinking of the Father's mission. This was the, the, the whole lens that Jesus views, viewed his life with. He, he, he was known for this by his disciples. The disciples were constantly hearing Jesus talking about his sentness into the world and why he was sent by the Father into the world. Jesus says in John 6, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. In another portion of the Gospels, he says, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus, as, as God's son, was committed to pursuing and actively, intentionally engaging in God's mission to win back all of mankind. He actually criticised the religious leaders of his days for setting aside God's mission and for setting up their own agenda and justifying it. In Mark 7, he says to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. The traditions that we should hold firm to is the tradition of depending on the Holy Spirit, being obedient to the word of God, 
and pursuing the mission of God. These are the traditions that I get passionate about because Jesus was passionate about those things. This is our identity. Jesus challenged his disciples that if they would obey God and and pursue his kingdom, that he would meet all their needs. He says in Matthew 6, Don't ask yourself what we shall eat or what we should drink or what should we wear, for the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When Jesus called his first followers, he gave them a command, come and follow me. But with that command came a great promise. He promised that he would help them to become fishers of men. Come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus knew his time on earth was limited. He knew his reach, his physical reach was limited, but he knew the grandeur of God's mission was to save all of mankind. He couldn't do it alone. So he actively trained his people to be missionaries. Jesus built a missionary movement that has been propagating throughout the world since. And if we're true to ourselves, as Christians, we are missionaries because Jesus is on mission. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? That's one thing COVID has shown us. We're in control of nothing, are we? In a blink of an eye, things can change. We can gain the whole world and yet forfeit our soul. Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and I'll look after your needs. Even now, the risen Lord is still pursuing his mission through his disciples who are obedient to his word, who are dependent on the spirit. He's still at work and he's saving souls. If we are true to ourselves, this is who we are. We are missionaries on mission. A child of God is a missionary, faithfully pursuing God to seek and to save the lost. If you're in the workforce, you're a missionary in the workforce. If you're a mother or a father, you're a missionary as a parent to your children. If you live in a street or a house, you're a missionary to your neighbours. You're a missionary to your family. You're a missionary both near and far. You're a missionary when you go shopping, when you do your groceries. We're on mission right now, equipping and building each other up. Are your days consumed by the worries of this world, consumed by building your own nest egg, or is it consumed with being on God's mission to see those people in your life who don't know Christ come to encounter his saving grace? Are you enjoying being a follower of Jesus? Well, Jesus is saying to you, come. Let me teach you how to fish for men. Reach into your neighbourhood. Reach into your family. Be his ambassador where he's got you. Be bold. Have that cup of coffee. Take time to make that meal and, and drop it off. Respond to those questions. Look for those conversations where you can introduce spiritual conversations. 
Look for opportunities to to express how God has uh, impacted your life. To talk about uh, church on Sunday. We are on mission as a child of God. Today, as we face the circumstances of COVID and a world struggles to make sense of its brokenness, God has sent you into the world as his missionary. You can't do it alone. He doesn't want you to do it alone. He doesn't expect you to do it alone. That's why he's given you his spirit at work within you. Depend on the spirit. That's why he's given you his word to spend time in each day, getting to know who he is and asking the question, what do you want me to obey from what you've just told me? He's given us each other, the family of God, the church, to build each other up, to to encourage one another, to help each other in this. As a church that is currently scattered, our identity hasn't changed. Don't believe the lies of the devil when he wants to tell you God's forgotten about you. You're unloved. They're lies. God loves you. You are his child. And as his child, you depend on the spirit, you obey his word, and you pursue his mission. This is our identity. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for declaring your love for your son and identifying him as your child. And Lord Jesus, thank you for making a way for us to know you personally, the risen Lord Jesus, through dying on the cross. Thank you for making a way for us to become children of God. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us as a child of God. And today we ask that you would lead and you would guide us, that you would help us to be dependent on you. We thank you for your word, God. Help us to know it more fully and help us to obey it more fully. Lord, so the world may see how good you are. And Lord, help us to be intentionally living on mission for you our town, our families, our community, our nation. This world needs to know you, the Prince of Peace, the hope of eternity, the living, risen Lord Jesus. We worship you today as children of God. Amen.